0: Magic Without Fears, hermetic podcast. I'm your host, Frater R.C. For more and exclusive episodes, visit magicwithoutfears.com. Thank you for your support. The Rosicrucian Path of Alchemy On the Chemical Wedding of Christian Rosenkreutz. We now reach the heart of this collection, the essay that Steiner wrote for Alexander von Bernis, in it, Steiner magisterially delineates the crucial difference between mysticism and alchemy, which is clearly his path and the Rosicrucian path. Alexander von bernus 1880 to 1965, was a poet, an alchemist, and a patron of the arts. As a student, he published a magazine in Munich to which many of the revolutionary authors living at that time in the famous Schwabing district contributed. Ricarda Huch Else Laske Schule, Franz Vadekind, who, according to Steiner, in his Karmic Relationship volumes was the reincarnation of an alchemist close to the great alchemist Basil Valentin. Rainer Maria Rilke, Stefan Zweig, Thomas Mann, and Hesse were among the best known. Von Bernis' own first book was published in 1903. From 1907 to 1912, he ran a small theater. Then, in 1912, he met Rudolf Steiner with whom he developed a close friendship. Besides many literary works, von Bernis, with Steiner's Blessing and in the early days collaboration, dedicated himself to the practice and renewal of alchemy. In 1921, he founded his own alchemical laboratory, which, after decades of work, developed more than 30 healing substances. In his alchemical work, Bernis continued the ancient Paracelsian-Rosicrucian tradition in a practical way, returning the spiritual dimension to the natural sciences. From 1916 to 1920, von Bannus published a magazine called Das Reich, the Realm, for which Rudolf Steiner wrote the most important series of essays published here. In January 11, 1916, von Bannus had asked Steiner to write an introduction to the chemical wedding for his new journal, but the task took some time to come to completion. The essay was serialized, appearing between October 1917 and April 1918. On March 20, 1918, Steiner wrote to Bernus: In my article I have gone as far as is possible at present. I could only go further if, from one perspective or another, the spirit of my interpretation were to be shown to be wrong. In the framework I have presented, it is certainly unnecessary— to concern myself with exoteric Rosicrucian literature any more than I have at the end of the piece. What I have said right, at the end, about the relationship of Andrea to Rosicrucianism is the result of spiritual scientific research alone. This, anyway, will cause a few heads to shake among those who have written about this matter, but my spiritual scientific result is well-founded. Steiner had, of course, had a long association with the chemical wedding, before turning to the writing of this commentary. Indeed, there is a history to this. In June 1786, a century or so before Steiner, Goethe had written to his friend Frau von Stein, I have just read The Wedding of Christian Rosenkreuz. A good fairy tale could be made of this at the right time, but it will have to be reborn, for it cannot be enjoyed in its old skin." A few years later, therefore, Goethe metamorphosed the wedding's teaching, giving it a new form in his esoteric and hermetic Tale of the Green Snake and the Beautiful Lily. Steiner worked with this story extensively, giving many lectures on it and writing an important essay on it for the sesquicentennial of Goethe's birth in 1899. Then Steiner, in turn, in 1910, further transformed its ethical and soul content into a mystery drama, The Portal of Initiation. Deep though this initiatory work may be, it represents only the tip of the iceberg that is the path of alchemy in Rudolf Steiner's life. The present essay speaks to this in many ways at many different levels and gives evidence of Steiner's profound understanding of both the theory and the practice of alchemical spiritual science. Thereby it helps us understand the depths to which the Rosicrucian alchemical impulse penetrates in Steiner's life and philosophy. Now on to Steiner's lecture. Anyone who knows what the human soul experiences once it has opened the gates into the spiritual world need only read a few passages of the chemical wedding of Christian Rosencoitz of the year 1459 to recognize that the descriptions it contains are based on real spiritual experiences. Subjectively created images quickly betray themselves to a reader With such real experiences, because the images we ourselves create never entirely correspond to reality, either in their form or in their sequence. The chemical wedding may first be considered from this perspective as an account of real spiritual experience. That is, we may follow these experiences, as it were, with our souls, investigating what may be said of them through insight into spiritual realities. For this reason, I will not concern myself with everything that has been written about this book, but will consider it only from the above point of view. I shall use only what it, the book itself says. Only after we have done this will we be able to speak to other questions raised before they have a sufficient basis. If you haven't read The Chemical Wedding of Christian Rosenkreutz, the third of the founding Rosicrucian documents after the Fama Fraternitatis and the Confessio Fraternitatis, I highly recommend that you do. It is divided into days. The First Day The traveler's experiences on the way to the chemical wedding are arranged as a seven-day labor of the soul. The first day begins with an imagination that appears before the seeker's soul, leading to his decision to undertake the journey. The nature of the description shows the special care that has been taken to differentiate between what the seeker was able to understand when the vision arose and what remained hidden from him until later. The description also distinguishes what approaches the seer from the spiritual world without the participation of his will and what occurs through his will. His first experience does not happen arbitrarily, nor does he fully understand it, It offers him the possibility of entering the spiritual world, but it does not meet him unprepared. Seven years previously, a bodily vision intimated that he would be called to participate in the chemical wedding. The expression bodily vision cannot be misunderstood by anyone who understands the spirit of the book. Bodily vision is not a vision of a diseased or half-dreaming soul life, but a perception attainable by a spiritual seer. Its content has the same reality for the soul that a percept has for the physical eye. To question such a vision presupposes a soul state that is not that of ordinary human consciousness. Ordinary consciousness knows only the alternating conditions of sleeping and waking and, between these, dream experiences unrelated to reality. In ordinary consciousness, the soul knows itself to be related to reality through the senses, When this relation to reality through the senses ceases in sleep, the soul is no longer consciously connected with reality, nor with itself and its inner experiences. What connection the soul has with reality while dreaming, it cannot at first comprehend. At the time of the bodily vision, the traveler to the chemical wedding already remembers a different state of consciousness from the ordinary one. He realizes that the soul can perceive even when... As far as the senses are concerned, it is in a condition similar to sleep. The concept of the soul living apart from the body and experiencing reality in such a state has become valid for him. He knows that the soul can strengthen itself and, separating from the body, unite with the spiritual world, just as it unites with nature through its bodily sense organs. He knows by experience, by means of bodily vision, that such a union is possible and awaits him. But he knows, too, that the actual experience of this union could not come through vision. It is this actual experience, symbolized for him by participation in the chemical wedding, which he awaits. In this way, the traveler is ready for a renewed life in the spiritual world. This experience of renewal comes to him on an evening before Easter day, during an exalted mood of the soul. He feels as if a storm is raging around him. It is clear to him that he is experiencing a reality independent of physical perception. He feels lifted out of the balance of the world forces that a human being enjoys through the physical body. That is, his soul no longer shares in the life of the physical body, but feels united with the body of formative forces that interpenetrates the physical. This formative forces body, however, does not live in the stable balance of world forces, but in the mobility of the supersensory world adjacent to the physical. We perceive this world once the gates of spiritual vision open. Only in the physical world do forces become fixed in the stable condition needed for a specific form. In the spiritual world, perpetual mobility rules. The perception of a violent storm symbolizes for the traveler's consciousness the fact that he is caught up into this etheric formative movement. Out of the indeterminate character of this perception, there appears the manifestation of a spiritual being. This revelation occurs through a specific formed imagination. The spiritual being in question appears to the traveller in a blue mantle covered with stars, This description must be kept free from all that a dilettante esotericist would use to explain the image symbolically. Our concern is a non-physical experience, one that the experiencer expresses in an image, for himself and others. The blue star-spangled mantle is no more a symbol for the blue night sky than the idea of a rose tree is a symbol in ordinary consciousness for the glow of a sunset. In suprasensory perception, a much more animated and conscious activity of the soul is present than in that of other senses. In the case of the wanderer to the chemical wedding, this activity is exercised by the body of formative forces, just as in physical sight the eyes are the mediators for the physical body. This activity of the formative forces body may be compared with the stimulation of radiating light. Such light shines on the spiritual being, who is thus revealed and radiates it back. The seer thus perceives his own radiating light, and beyond, and by virtue of its limits, he beholds the being that limits and reflects his own light. Through this connection of the spirit being with the spiritual light of the formative force's body, blue appears. The stars being that part of the spirit light that is not radiated back, but absorbed by the being. The spiritual being has objective reality. The picture by which this being is revealed is the change in the radiation of the formative forces body that it brings about. This imagination must not be confused with a vision. The subjective experience of one having such an imagination is something completely different from that of the visionary. Visionaries live in their vision through inner compulsion. The person who experiences an imagination unites the imagination to the spiritual being described or to a spiritual event, and he or she does this with the same conscious inner freedom with which one uses a word or a sentence to express an object of the senses. Anyone with no knowledge of the nature of the spiritual world might suppose that it is wholly unnecessary to clothe the imageless experiences of this spiritual world in imaginations that evoke the semblance of the visionary. To this it must be objected that in reality the imagination is not the essential thing in what is spiritually perceived, but that this is the means through which what is essential must reveal itself in the soul. A sensory color cannot be perceived without the definite activity of an eye any more than one can experience something spiritual without meeting it from within with a specific imagination. This does not, however, prevent the use of pure concepts, as are customary in natural science or philosophy, to represent spiritual experiences attained through imagination. The present article, indeed, uses such concepts to describe the content of The Chemical Wedding. But in the 17th century, when Johann Valentin Andrea wrote his book, it was not yet customary to use such concepts to any great extent. At that time, authors presented the unmediated imagination through which they experienced supersensory beings and events. The traveler to The Chemical Wedding recognizes in the spiritual form that revealed itself to him, the being, who could give him the right impulse for the journey. Meeting this figure, he feels himself standing consciously in the spiritual world. The way he stands there indicates the specific orientation of his spiritual path of knowledge. This traveler does not follow the way of the mystic in the narrower sense. He takes the path of the alchemist. To understand the description that follows, We must eliminate from the idea of alchemy all that has been associated with it through superstition, fraud, thirst for adventure, and so on. We must think of what was striven for by the honest, unprejudiced seekers of truth who first gave form to this path. Their goal was to recognize the real relationships that exist between natural objects and to see them as conditioned not by natural activity, but by a spiritual being manifesting through nature. They sought for supersensory forces that are active in the sense world, but cannot be recognized by the senses. The traveler to the chemical wedding takes the path of such investigators. In this sense, he represents the alchemical quest. As one on the alchemical path, he is convinced that the suprasensory forces of nature are hidden from ordinary consciousness. He has created in his inner being the experiences that enable the soul, through their effects, to use the body of formative forces as an organ of perception. He wants to attain a vision of the suprasensory forces of nature through this organ of perception. Above all, he wants to recognize the extra-human suprasensory forces of nature in a spiritual form of existence that can be experienced outside the realm of sensory perception and ordinary intellectual activity. Then, equipped with the knowledge of these forces, he wants to penetrate the real nature of the human body itself. He believes that through a knowledge to be attained by the soul in union with the formative force's body now operating apart from the physical organism, it will be possible to penetrate to the nature of our bodily being and thereby approach the mystery accomplished by the cosmos through our physical being. For ordinary consciousness, this cosmic physical mystery is veiled. We live in it, but we do not see through the experience. By starting from the supersensory knowledge of nature, the traveler to the chemical wedding wishes to reach a vision of human suprasensory nature in the end. This way of investigating makes the traveler an alchemist rather than a mystic in the narrower sense of the term. Mystics also strive for a different experience of the human being than is possible with the ordinary consciousness. However, mystics do not choose the way leading to a use of the body of formative forces independently of the physical body. Mystics start from a vague feeling that a penetration of the physical body by the formative forces body, deeper than is customary in waking life, leads one from a connection with what is physical to a union with one's spiritual nature. Alchemists, on the other hand, strive consciously to draw themselves out of the ordinary connection with the physical and to enter the world that is the spiritual in nature behind the sense-perceptible world. Mystics seek to lead the conscious soul deeper into its connection with the bodily, to enter consciously into the realm of the corporeal that is hidden from self-awareness, when the latter is filled with sense-perceptions. Mystics do not always seek to give a full account of this striving. Too often they describe the path quite differently. In most instances, in fact, mystics are poor exponents of their own being, This is connected with the fact that, for the mystic, certain feelings are linked with the spiritual quest. A certain contempt for the connection of body and soul, even a contempt for the body itself, can possess the mystic's soul, because through a kind of self-induced delusion, he or she wants to overcome the connection with the body as experienced in ordinary consciousness. Therefore, the mystic will not admit... That mystical experience is based upon an even closer connection with the body than is usual. Mystics, in fact, perceive an alteration in their thinking and feeling and willing as a result of this more intimate connection with themselves. I think I should note here that he's using mystics in a very specific, small way to describe very specific types of mystics. That should be obvious, even though he's using the term generally. He's critiquing a very specific type of thing. And now, a word from our sponsors. While well, we cannot control whether any ads get put in the spots allocated, we thank you for listening to those that do since they help keep this project alive. You can also get ad free content and bonus content and videos and a private web page by subscribing exclusively to magicwithoutfears.com for only a couple dollars a week, or six dollars a month, or fifty for the year. It helps a lot, plus you get emails about other exclusive things. Thank you very much. But they devote themselves to this changed perception without wanting to become clear about the basis of the alteration, although the change is due to a dipping down deeper into the body, it appears to them as a spiritualization of their inner life. Indeed, they are fully justified in so regarding it, for the perceptive faculty is nothing other than the form of existence that the soul experiences when standing in the relation with the body that forms the basis of ordinary waking consciousness. If the soul connects itself more deeply with the body than is the case in this latter form of existence, then it experiences a relation to the human being, to the world, that is more spiritual than that produced by the senses. The ideas that then arise condense to imaginations, which are revelations of the powers that the body of formative forces exercises on the physical body. These powers remain hidden for ordinary consciousness, but in the mystic, feeling is strengthened to such a degree that the moral and spiritual forces streaming from the cosmos and acting upon the human being are experienced as through an inner touch. With the will surrendered to a spiritual activity that incorporates the person into a supersensory relationship, With the world from which he or she is separated by the subjective will of ordinary consciousness, the mystic soul comes to know itself. Real mysticism arises only when, not driven to pathological visions or dimmed consciousness under the compulsion of the bodily organization, one brings one's fully conscious soul into closer connection with the body. True mysticism, therefore, strives to experience the internal human spiritual nature, that for the ordinary consciousness, is submerged by sensory perception. True alchemy, on the other hand, makes itself independent of sensory perception in order to behold the spiritual nature of the world that is external to humanity, but is concealed by sensory perception. Before entering the inner being of the soul, mystics must bring themselves into a state in which the soul is not exposed to the extinguished or dimmed consciousness resulting from the enhanced counter-thrust of the more intimate connection with the body. Before they enter the spiritual world lying behind the physical, alchemists too need to strengthen the soul so that it will not lose itself in the beings and events of that world. The mystical and the alchemical ways of investigation lie in opposite directions. Mystics enter directly into their own spiritual being. Their aim, which may be called the mystical marriage, is the union of the conscious soul with their own spiritual being. Alchemists wish to wander through the spiritual realm of nature, so that, by means of the forces of knowledge one in this region, they may hereafter come to behold human spiritual nature. Their aim is the chemical marriage, union with the spiritual aspect of nature. Only after this union has been achieved does the alchemist wish to experience the vision of the spiritual human being. At the very beginning of their paths, both alchemists and mystics experience a mystery that by its nature cannot be penetrated by ordinary consciousness. This mystery has to do with the relationship between the human body and the human soul. As soul beings, we live in truth in the spiritual world, but at our present stage of development in world evolution we are unable to orient ourselves in the realm of spirit. We lack that capacity. Through the forces of our ordinary consciousness, we can only establish a relationship to ourselves and to the world outside us. This is because it is our body that provides the direction for our soul activity. The body is so placed in the world that it corresponds to cosmic harmony. While the soul lives in sensory perception and ordinary intellectual activity, it is given up to the body to the precise extent that the body is able to transmit it its own harmony with the cosmos. If the soul raises itself out of this experience in a mystical or alchemical way, it becomes necessary to ensure that it does not lose this cosmic harmony with the universe attained through the body. Without such precaution, on the mystical path, the soul is threatened with the loss of its spiritual connection with the cosmos, and on the alchemical path with the loss of the capacity for distinguishing between truth and error. Without such care, mystics, because of their close connection with the body, could condense the force of self-awareness to the degree that, overpowered in their own life by this force, they would no longer be able to share the experience of world life. Consequently, their consciousness could enter the realm of a different spiritual world from the one that corresponds to the human spiritual world. In my writings on the science of spirit, I have called this realm the luciferic world. Alchemists, for their part, if they do not take due care, lose the power to distinguish between truth and illusion. In the great cosmic relationships, illusion is necessary. But at our present stage of evolution, we cannot fall victim to it. The realm of sense perception is our safeguard. Were this illusion not in the background of human world experience, however, we could not develop the different stages of our consciousness. Illusion is the driving force for this development of consciousness. At the present stage of the evolution of consciousness, illusion must work so that consciousness will arise while illusion itself must remain in the unconscious. If it appeared in consciousness, it would overpower the truth. The moment the soul takes the alchemical path, it enters the region of spirit behind sense perception, and it falls into the vortex of illusion, in which it can preserve its being only if it brings out of its experience in the sense world a sufficient capacity to distinguish error and truth. If it has not taken the precaution to acquire such a capacity, then the whirl of illusion will drive it into a world where it must become lost. In my writings, I have called this the Aramanic world. For Rudolf Steiner, uh, the spiritual symbolism of Lucifer and Araman are very fascinating ones and probably not what you'd expect, so I'd encourage you to look up Steiner's work on Lucifer and Araman. Mystics, before starting on their path, need to bring the soul into such a condition that their own lives do not become overpowering. Alchemists must reinforce their sense for truth, so that they will not lose it, even when they are not supported by sense perception and the understanding connected with it. The one who experiences what is described in The Chemical Wedding is aware that on his path as an alchemist he needs to strengthen capacity for distinguishing between truth and illusion. From the life connections that impel him to start upon his alchemical path, the traveler seeks the support of Christian truth. He knows that what unites him with Christ has already developed in his life in the sense world, a force in his soul leading to truth a force that does not need the support of the senses and therefore still leads to truth when his support is no longer present. In this attitude, then, the traveler's soul stands before the being in blue garments that shows him the way to the chemical wedding. Initially, this being could just as well belong to the world of error and illusion as to that of truth. The traveler to the chemical wedding must distinguish... But the capacity for distinction would be lost, and error would overpower him if he could not, within supersensory experience, remember what unites him with an inner force to truth in the sensory world. Out of his own soul arises what has happened within it through Christ. Over and above his own light, the Christ light also radiates from his body of formative forces toward this being who is revealed the right imagination is formed. The letter that shows him the way to the chemical wedding contains the sign of Christ and the words in hoc signo vinces." The traveler knows he is connected with a being that appears through a force that points to the truth. In hoc signo vinces" means in this sign you will conquer, by the way. If the force that led him into the supersensory world were to incline toward illusion... He would stand before a being that would injure his power to remember the Christ impulse living within him. He would then be attended only by the misleading powers that attract human beings when the supersensory world bring forces to meet them that are injurious for their being and their will. The letter brought to the traveler by the being that invites him to the chemical wedding is in a form of expression belonging to the 15th century. Its content is a description of his relationship with the spiritual world insofar as he can be conscious of it at the beginning of the first day of his spiritual experience. The sign accompanying the words expresses how the mutual relationship between the physical body, the body of formative forces, and the soul and spirit has taken shape in him. The sign, by the way, is the monus hieroglyphica. It is fully significant for him that he can perceive how this condition of his human nature stands in harmony with cosmic relationships. Quote By diligent reckoning and calculation of his annotated planets, he discovers that this condition might possibly arise in him at the moment when it now occurs. The astrology here will be understood neither by components nor by opponents of modern astrology the author of The Chemical Wedding added the year 1459 to the title of his book with good reason. He knew that the inner soul mood and the outer world would not be in harmony if the soul of the one experiencing this union of inner and outer did not correspond to a mood attained at a specific moment in world becoming. The soul that has become independent of ordinary sensory perception must meet the external suprasensory world essence harmoniously if, through the agreement of both, the condition of consciousness is to arise that forms the chemical wedding. But whoever believes that the constellation of the annotated planets contains a mysterious force that determines the condition of human experience is like someone who supposes that the position of the hands of his watch has the power to cause him to take the walk that the circumstances of his life require him to take at a certain hour. In the letter, three temples are indicated. At the time he receives the letter, the one who as the experience does not understand what they mean. Anyone who perceives in the spiritual world must know that sometimes imaginations are assigned that to begin with one cannot understand. One must receive them as imaginations and let them ripen within one's soul. As they ripen, they bring forth in one's inner being the power required to understand them. When one tries to explain a vision at the moment it occurs, One usually lacks sufficient power of understanding, and one's thinking becomes distorted. In spiritual experience, much depends on having the patience just to make observations, at first simply to accept them, and to wait with understanding them until the right moment arrives. The traveler to the chemical wedding describes what he learns on the first day of his spiritual experiences as having been announced to him in a bodily vision seven years before. At that time, he did not dare to form an intellectual opinion about the meaning of the vision. He had to wait until the vision had worked long enough in his soul for him to experience it with understanding. The appearance of the spiritual being in the blue starry mantle and the giving of the letter to him are both experienced by the traveler to the chemical wedding without his own soul's free decision having led him to them. Then, however, he proceeds to other experiences through free decision. He enters a state like sleep that brings dream experiences that have reality. This is possible because after the experiences he has already had, he can, through sleep, enter into a relationship with the spiritual world different from the usual one. Our ordinary experience during sleep does not link our soul to the spiritual world by bonds, that would be capable of giving us valid concepts of reality. But the traveler's soul is transformed. It is so strengthened inwardly that in the dream experience, it can perceive the aspects of the experience that are connected with the spiritual world in which it dwells. The soul first experiences its own newly won relationship through such a dream experience, namely through the imagination of the tower in which the dreamer is enclosed, and from which he wishes to be freed. The traveler's soul experiences consciously what is experienced unconsciously in ordinary existence, when the soul passes from sense-experience to suprasensory existence in sleep. The experiences of cramping and distress in the tower express the soul's inner sensory experiences within the sphere from which it is separating The life forces that engender growth bind the soul to the body in such a way that the result is ordinary sense experience. Under these forces alone, consciousness could never arise. What is merely living remains unconscious. The arising of consciousness, together with illusion, serves the forces that destroy life. If we did not bear in ourselves all that leads us to physical death, we would certainly live in a physical body, but we could not develop consciousness within it. The connection between the death forces and consciousness remains hidden for ordinary consciousness. As with the one who experiences the chemical wedding, this connection must appear before the spiritual eye of anyone who wishes to develop a consciousness for the spiritual world. We must realize that bound up with our existence Is the hoary-headed ancient man, the being that according to its nature bears within it the forces of old age. The only souls who can participate in a vision in the realm of spirit are those who, while in this domain, observe the force hidden in ordinary life behind the aging process working upon it. This force has power to tear the soul away from the realm of sensory experience, The reality of the dream lies in that through it the traveler to the chemical wedding becomes conscious that henceforth he can encounter nature and the human world with a mood of soul enabling him to perceive in both what is hidden from ordinary consciousness. Thus, he is ready for the experiences of the next day. Thank you for listening to the first day of the chemical wedding of Christian Rosenkreutz as it is understood and interpreted by Rudolf Steiner. I think this is one of the most interesting source documents of the alchemical Rosicrucian tradition. Um, I recommend you study it, and it's a quick read. You can read through the document and then sort of get a sense of Steiner's view of what it means as we go through each day for the next seven days, which is what I'm going to do this week. And some of them are shorter and longer. There'll still be interviews coming along, of course, but I'm mainly focused on preparing for some very large ones coming up, as well as other lectures I'm releasing. So it's a busy time, and I hope everyone's well out there. So go uh, download or read The Chemical Wedding of Christian Rosenkreuz online. If you speak German, there's uh, good German co- copies out there, I believe you can easily find. And we'll uh, go through Steiner's stuff, if anyone wants to talk about that sort of stuff, too um i'm more than game to get into it there's lots to say on steiner he uh covered a lot of material and has some fascinating insights and outlandish uh, ideas that speak highly to his uh the place and time he he lived and grew up and and uh, did so many things for the world really um Yeah, who would have thought that the largest private school in existence still operating today would be a Rosicrucian one? (laughs) Cheers. Hermetic Science Enterprises is a publishing company based in Scotland, UK, that specializes in Western esoteric printed literature, as well as educational videos. With various imprints under its belt, its roster consists of grimoire tradition literature, alchemical works, golden dawn tradition books, and the several texts and videos originally belonging to the philosophers of nature. Besides its downloadable videos and standard hardcover edition books, Hermetic Science Enterprises also produces beautiful and precious limited fine edition books that are true pieces of art. For more information, to order any of its products, please visit www.hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk hermeticscienceenterprises.co.uk.